you think you're the only singer on the podcast <laughs> is well, that a guitar solo or oh it was it was everything at <laughs> once and once or it was sort of a hummed falsetto i think <laughs> that's pretty good that's yeah pretty good yeah. yeah i've been working on it welcome to the the carl landry record club a music podcast from the rice ricky sanchez i am spike eskin along with i'm taking you back mootlu mootlu only two mootlus back to two Back to two. The classic. What's old is new again. Absolutely. Our intro music is from Marion Hill. It is called I Should Let You Know. You can't get it anywhere but here. And Carl Landry Record Club is a podcast about appreciating music. Even the music you don't like, you got to appreciate it. We're here to celebrate music and musicians. Celebrate it. We previously did three albums per podcast, but our podcasts were getting so long that we decided to scale it back. And truth be told, because my job situation changed. Yeah, we have to we have to address this, right? <laughs> we gotta talk about this. We've already been talking about it, but I was like, oh my God, I wanna keep doing the Carl, but holy cow, three <laughs> albums a week. It's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot, lot to it's just a lot to digest when, especially when your job is digesting audio. So my entire day is digesting audio. Right. So this got in the way. So we decided to do two albums in the week rather than three albums in the week. So we'll do two albums today, starting today. So. Yeah, and I should say, because, you know, we, we got to have an official chat about this has been, mm-hmm. uh, since we last recorded. Yes. Now, of course, this is going to be like two weeks from now, but it'll still be relevant. It's not time sensitive. <laughs> right, no. I, I just, you know, should say congratulations, well-deserved and exciting news, you know, with your new, new gig up in New York, man. That's, that's crazy. Yes, I will. For those who do not know, who only know me as a music podcast guy, <laughs> there's only like, Spike has a different job besides Carl Landry Record Club? That's I, I do like that this is, see, you're full sports mode now. CBS Sports Radio, yeah. WFAN, yeah. Uh, the Ricky, which is it goes beyond sports, but is first it's and still foremost. still sports. This is yeah. pure music. This is your place to go pure music with it. 100% music, except when we have the GM of the Sixers on the pod for for 70 minutes. Then there's a little bit of sports, but this right, is pure music. but we still talked music. about musicals for the whole yes. time. So. Yeah. <laughs> so my job now, I am moving to... Uh, my my career was in Philadelphia with WIP, and my career will be now at WFAN in New York, home uh, the the first full time sports radio station in the country, and was home to Imus for a while, was home to Mike and the Mad Dog, and now is home to who uh, Boomer and Geo in the morning, and Craig Carton and Evan Roberts in the afternoon, and. Uh, Maggie Gray and Mark Malusis in middays, also home to the New York Yankees, mm. the New York Giants, the Brooklyn Nets. So it is the Brooklyn a, Nets uh, broadcaster. Mm-hmm. On def- oh wow! Correct. Yeah. So it is a legendary station. Oh, and also CBS Sports Radio, which is home to the Damon Amendolara show and. Tiki Barber, Tiki and Tierney. Yeah, I guess I, I, there's another association with the Giants. And, uh, and Jim Rome, Jim Rome's on CBS Sports Radio. So it's a, you know, Bill Ryder, it's a, like a, a big job with a, a legendary, a bunch of legendary talent. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to do it. Very sad to leave this area. Very sad to leave WIP. But at least I'm just going to live, I'm just going to become a fucking Jersey resident. And right. uh, I'm just going to, you know, I'll be an hour and a half up the the turnpike. So yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because uh, 
in a way, what better? I mean, WIP is legendary, classic. But if you're going to make the jump, if there's one place you would make the jump beyond, you know, a, a job like WIP or working at a, a classic station, you, you just go to New York and you go to the original station, national syndication. And yeah, man, I just want to say, uh, can I no. jump in here real quick? Yeah. yeah Spike, I, I just want to say congratulations, buddy. Yeah, we're, we're rooting for you. Knock them dead up there. Drink plenty of water. And keep me posted on all the best hoagie and baloney spots. So, Tommy, I would have thought you would have called me a sellout or something because I am getting a little bit of that from Oh, man, I'm happy for you, man. Right, I mean, thank you. I mean, because I know, listen, Spike, listen. Spike, yes. hello? Yes. Hello? Yes, Tommy. I cut out for a second there. Oh, okay. Yeah, listen, you are still a Philly guy. You can be in New York. Mm-hmm. You can you can still be in New York and represent Philly. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. I'm yeah. still a Philly guy. Exclusive. Philadelphia has an exclusive place in your heart. Exclusive. It a a uh, a what's it? emotional place in my heart. Emotion. 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 You'll never lose the Philly emotion. No. No. I so won't. no. You, it's a it's 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 allowed. I'm I'm happy for you, buddy. Go out there, drink plenty of water. Thank you, Tommy. I will. Stay healthy. Thank you. I will do my best to stay healthy. So yeah, it it really is. If there's only, I remember talking about it. I haven't talked about this at all. I remember talking about (laughs) it with my wife and she was like, well, what? I asked her what she thought. And she was like, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I mean, it's probably the best one of these jobs in the whole world. And and like and I wasn't there was no hyperbole and I said you know how much I love WIP and I consider WIP the and what we've done to be I'm incredibly proud of and I love working with everybody there you know for your career you you kind of want to keep like growing and changing and you look at this and I was like hmm seems like it's pretty much the best one and she was like oh okay yeah so yeah I think. This is one of those things, and uh, you've been working in broadcasting your whole life, uh, starting with music. But y- you know, it's a it seems like a natural trajectory to me, mm-hmm. uh, being working at rock stations and then being at WIP. I mean, at the end of the day, I always think about Stern talking about how he came up in radio. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, and he bounced around from this place to that place to that market, but it was ultimately all about getting to New York, right? So there's still something to be said for like, especially in broadcasting. I mean, look, we love Philly, man. Philly's number one, you know, but in all seriousness, from a career arc standpoint, to get to that place, New York City, the, especially in that area, is in that realm, it really doesn't get any bigger or better than that. So you really, when that opportunity comes, you just, that's that's kind of part of the deal, right, of being a career broadcaster. Yeah, I mean, I mean like... I could be happy doing this here at IP forever, but the thing about New York, whether you like it or not, and trust me, like as a being in New York, there are parts of New York that I, I love and I'm having a great time, and then there are other t- parts that I'm very overwhelmed, <laughs> and and it's it's uh, it's a lot for me. But it's the biggest city in the country, like yeah. it's the biggest media market in the world. It's the right. biggest city in the country, so no matter what is going on there from a media perspective, everything that happens is the biggest there, you know? Like, yeah. Like, like it's, uh, it was just wild when the, when the news came out. 
It was in the New York Post and the New York Daily News. I saw it, that. Uh, man, first off, it was a Twitter frenzy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> well and I'm also succeeding a legend, like, uh, and who I have a great relationship with, Mark Chernoff, who, was, who worked at K-Rock with Howard Stern and then, yeah. you know, has been here for 30 years and, you know, replaced Imus. And then when they lost Craig, when, when Craig... Um, ended up in, incarcerated for a bit. He was able to replace him and now has replaced Francesa and so on and so forth. It's just been, he's done a, uh, an amazing job. So there's that, on top of that, to succeed Chernoff is enormous. You know, Big shoes to fill, but I mean, you're up for the challenge. It's like in some way you build up to a moment like this, right? Your whole career. It's yeah, like, yep. You know, it's uh, trying to find a parallel in music, but it would be like, It'd be like selling out Madison Square Garden or something, you know? It's yes. like once you get to that point, like. yep. you relish it and you go for it and it's maybe scary and overwhelming in some way, but you, you just do it. Yep. Yeah, so you that's rip what it, do. you rip it, you move on, rip but, it, but rip don't it, move, move on. on. Stay there and keep doing it. So enough about me. Because <laughs> actually I wanted to talk to you, uh, something about you. Maybe we'll do it in between records or something just to okay. like pace ourselves. But because uh, there's a a big thing for you that's happening that we've been talking about since we started this podcast, I think. Right, right. So maybe maybe we'll hold on to that. Maybe we'll do it in between records right so on. we can get, all right. So on the pod, we're gonna do two albums. The way we're looking at it now, it'll be a Mootlu album and a listener album, and the next week it'll be a Spike album and a listener album, so on and so forth. How do you get your album on here? Apple Podcast Reviews, we're up to 123 five-star ratings. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to set a new goal for 200, but uh, leave it in the reviews. So leave a five-star rating and then leave in the reviews what album you want. So, today, and then grip it, rip it, and move on. So, <laughs> I love that that's a thing now. Yes, grip it, rip it, and move on. <laughs> so the two albums are Mootloo's Choice, which is Pink Floyd's Animals, and the listener choice, which is Dominic Fike's What Could Possibly Go Wrong, suggested by Apple user Dill Too Dirty. Yep. Mm. So I like, I like that. Yep. I don't know what it means, but it sounds good. It sounds it interesting. Sounds dirty. So like why don't dill we pickles s- on a sandwich, mayo could mustard. Be. You never. Well, there's only one L, and dill pickles has two L's. I think, right? Doesn't dill pickles? I think so. I'm almost yeah. wondering if like Tommy from down the shore is becoming like a weird like Tourette's thing for me. Like I just gotta <laughs> blurt out certain things, like totally in a normal conversation. But yeah, then I start doing it, and get right into it. Yeah, you don't want to do that, man. I've, it's a you, Jekyll. You, it's like I'm losing my. It's like. You it's, you still got a lot of life left, you know. You, <laughs> I got to face myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think your your alter ego can take over. It would be like the worst Batman in the world, yeah. where the the enemy is is Mootlu and Tommy from down the shore, <laughs> both guys <laughs> completely un uh, unthreatening in every way. That'd be you the know? worst action movie yeah. or superhero movie of all time. You want to start with your album, and then we'll talk about your big news, and then we'll talk about the listener album? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Pink Floyd, Animals. We would zigzag away Through the bottom of pain Occasionally glancing up through the rain So, of course, Pink Floyd is one of these groups, one of the biggest-selling bands of all time. Uh, iconic, well-documented, so I always try to, you know, be selective in picking these kind of records. It's kind of like talking about Prince or Marvin Gaye. It's like, 
they're so well chronicled in their career. But I'll right. do a little snapshot of Pink Floyd and then kind of get into this record, which is my favorite uh, Pink Floyd record. So Pink Floyd, quick little backdrop, founded in London in 1965 by a group of students at the Imperial College. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that a music college or is it just a college? I think it's just a college. Okay. But they were studying there and... Uh, Man, imagine like Pink Floyd, like if you could go in a time machine and go back and mm-hmm. see those guys come together. And I don't know if you're a fan or not, but I'm... I'm well, you, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. You did say something that made me think something. You were like, this is five songs is not an album. And this song is, this album is five songs. Yeah. Wow. So, well, it all depends a, on how you look at it. Yeah, we'll get into yeah, that. We'll, we'll get, get into that. that. But the group, as in its original incarnation, was Sid Barrett on lead rhythm guitars and vocals, Nick Mason on drums and vocals. Roger Witters on bass and rhythm guitar and ba- uh, and vocals. Richard Wright on keyboards, piano, organ, and vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, for a very brief time, they had a lead guitarist named Bob Close. But eventually, 1967, uh, David Gilmore joined the band. And shortly thereafter, Sid Barrett left. But it's important to remember with this band, people forget sometimes, that Sid Barrett was like yeah, the, guy. the original leader. He, the original DNA yeah. of this band started with... Sid Barrett, he was really the focal point, the main songwriter. It was his creative vision in the beginning on uh, the debut album, Piper's The Gates of Dawn, and then a little bit, although to a much lesser extent, on Saucer Full of Secrets. Uh, But I I just think he played a big role in forging that psychedelic sound that they have, the sort of extended song suites that came to be a big part of their records. I feel like his writing was a little lighter and more esoteric than maybe some of the heavier... Mm-hmm. Commentary that came into it once uh, once Roger Waters really took on Roger Waters, but mm-hmm. um, but I, I do think he's a big part. I mean, even once he left, because he was only really there for a few years, even once he left, he was like essentially like the muse of this band. You know, he, his mm-hmm. presence always was there, and I guess that manifested itself the most on "Shine On You Crazy Diamond," which is the epic song suite at the center of the "Wish You Were Here" album. Like black holes in the sky. After he left, from there on, Roger Waters, Roger Wooders. Wooders. Roger Wooders took over as leader, main lyricist. See, that's what I'm saying. It's like a Tourette's thing. Yeah. It was really his creative vision from there on. And I think when you think of Roger Wooders, he's one of the great, like, grand conceptualists of rock and roll. Like, big ideas, big conceptual ideas. And I think in the years, the next several years after Barrett left, he started cultivating more and more of that. I do think, though, it's important to remember that even if he was the lyrical mastermind or the creative vision, it was a combination of him with, uh, with Gilmore, with da- uh, David Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Really, that made this band special. Like, David Gilmore's musicality, his guitar playing. And, of course, you can't discount Richard Wright or Nick Mason, but it was a whole greater than the sum. It wasn't just, like, purely a vehicle for Roger Wooders. So in those next few years, they released a number of albums, Adam Hart, Mother and Metal, probably my favorite among those. But really, much of the Pink Floyd legacy rests in what I call the Big Four, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals, and The Wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess Dark Side of the Wall, uh, Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall are probably the two of the biggest selling albums of all time. I love those records because they're both broad conceptually, but then you have all these amazing <clears throat> sort of standout tracks like... Uh, Money on Dark Side or Comfortably Numb on, on the wall, just to name a few. So, I, I 
collected those records can kind of be experienced as a whole conceptual piece, but uh, also kind of with, there are a lot of songs you can just parse out of there and enjoy in their own right. But to me, it was always Animals was my favorite one. I think the record that probably mirrors the format of Animals the most is probably Wish You Were Here, where you have like this really extended song suite and then a few standalone tracks. So get, get, getting into it now, Animals. Now, was this a record you had spent much time with? I'm curious. Uh, Actually, no. Now, now, somebody who, you know, obviously I worked in rock radio for 19 to 35, a decade and a half. So right. incredibly familiar with Pink Floyd, saw Pink Floyd, have seen Roger Waters solo, have heard a ton of Pink Floyd. I am sure I looked at the track listing of this and saw that it was fucking five <laughs> songs in an hour. And, and I was went like, into a rage, and right, went into and, a sheer rage. And I was like, no, thank you. I've always <laughs> been appreciative of Pink Floyd and wished I liked Pink Floyd a little bit more. And much like with Van Halen, I think I like the wrong Pink Floyd the best. Like the final cut or something like that? No, uh, well, Division I like- Bell? I like I like momentary lapse of reason and division bell. Like I like the David Gilmore, Pink Floyd. Right, and I I can see that. We'll see that makes sense to me because you're a guitar player. Right, and it's uh, that's the weird thing with this band. I I think Roger Waters gets a disproportionate sort of degree of recognition. Maybe he deserves that because a lot of the ideas and the concepts were his. Mm -hmm. But even as a singer, I always liked Gilmore a good deal more than I liked Waters. You know, Waters' voice can be a little bit kind of grading at times. And, yep. And there is, as far as guitar players who play with just this incredible sense of melody, like where you you hear a solo of from Gilmore and you're singing that melody. Like, I, I don't think of his things as solos. I think of them as like, they could be vocal parts. I mean, that's how melodic he plays. And just so, I could see that. I could see that. I don't think that's uh, unexpected necessarily. The, the albums that you mentioned, there are... Plenty of songs in those albums that I'm like, oh, that's a good song. Yeah. I can appreciate that. And there are moments, you know, even in, in this record, which we'll get into, that I like, but there is something about the sprawling nature of it that I just forget I'm listening to it. Right. If right. that makes any sense. Like, yeah. it, it, it took a lot of concentration for me to, I would put this on, and every time, like without fail, 14 minutes into it, I would be doing something else and have no idea right. that, I, that I was still listening to it. So that's the problem for And me. especially but with everything you've got going on, this is quite a record to throw at you right now. It's just <laughs> a lot. It's a lot. It's like, you know, four minute synth pads, you know. Well, and you really should be this album more than any of the other ones, maybe any of the other ones we've done so far on the whole record club, this album more than any of them, you have to just sit there and listen to it. Yeah. Because so much of it, there's not a lot go there's there's a lot of things going on, but there's not a lot of momentum. It's not just, you know, verse, chorus, verse, you know, no. that that sort of stuff that I like. So And it's all about the lyrics, and I agree. You do have to really engage with it mm -hmm. to get the full scope of it. Because really this record was a commentary on class structure, really on the perils and in a lot of ways the heartlessness of capitalism. It was basically Loosely, or I wouldn't even say loosely, inspired by Orwell's Animal Farm. Mm. And that's the basic construction of the record. It's three 
main songs, you know, pigs, dogs, and sheep, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess it's pigs, three different ones, but technically pigs, dogs, and sheep. And if you work on the construct of or- Orwell's animal farm, it's basically the pigs represent the ruling class, you know, the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. The dogs represent the military class. I always thought of it more as kind of like the ruthless kind of corporate operatives. Um, but I guess technically it could be thought of more as a, a military class. And then the sheep represents sort of the oppressed working class that rises. So when you think of the record like that, those are the three main song pieces and each section of the record, let's call them songs, but they're really extended song suites kind of break down those three different elements. And then- When you're saying song suite, what do you mean? You mean like sort of like a bunch of songs basically put into one to create one master composition or, or what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, I guess in a way, although this doesn't quite qualify, does it? Because like take Dogs, for example, it starts off mm-hmm. with that acoustic thing. That song is great because it's my favorite song. It's really the centerpiece of the record. Starts out with that driving kind of like acoustic sound. Do you know why I could have guessed that that was your favorite song on the record? Why is that? Because I would have a 25% chance of guessing what your favorite right, song right. on the you, record you, <laughs> Right, because Pigs on the Wing, there's really only four songs. Yeah, yes. And Pigs on the Wing, Pigs on the Wing is interesting because it's a minute and a half in the beginning, <sighs> and then Pigs on the Wing 2 is it the... The final minute and a half. It's basically the same song with a different set of lyrics. Yeah. It's like a it's like a musical palate cleanser. You know, sweet, yeah. hopeful kind of folk song to start you off and end the album. Mm-hmm. But then Dogs gets into like these kind of lyrics. Like, you got to be crazy. You got to have a real need. Got to sleep on your toes. And when you're on the street, you got to be able to pick out the easy meat with your eyes closed. With your eyes closed. You got to be able to pick out the easy meat with your eyes closed. <laughs> Boy, Tommy reading Pink Floyd, that's like... Yeah, that yeah, could man, be a whole like pie. poetry. I, yeah, we could do a whole thing on that. Yeah. But you think of like lyrics like that, you know, setting the picture of someone that is kind of working... I, I guess it's supposed to be the military, but I always thought of it as like someone working, say, in corporate America. It's kind of ruthless, knows how to get ahead, knows how to squash the competition. But then mm-hmm. the whole arc of that song is in the end, he understands that he's just kind of a, a cog in the wheel. Mm-hmm. A brick in the wall. Another brick in the wall. Uh, he's yeah. just another brick in the wall. And he comes to understand that it's kind of like the exploiter becomes the exploited. That's the arc of that song, mm-hmm. lyrically. And he says, yeah, you know, a few more words. This is a record where I got to read some, like, yeah, in the end, you'll pack up, fly down south, hide your head in the sand, just another sad old man all alone and dying of cancer. I mean, good, good, goodness gracious. That's heavy. Yeah. But that's what that song breaks down. And... uh as far as the song suite thing, uh, let me think about that. I guess I always thought of uh, there's a song suite in Abbey Road. That's maybe the quintessential example of, of it. This one is a little different because it's kind of drawn out, but I, you could say it is because that acoustic element and that vocal uh, delivery that comes at the beginning comes all the way back at the end. Okay. You know, and then you have all these different musical sections. And yeah, it is. It's like it's kind of like a number of songs kind of piece together, but then okay. there's themes that circle back over and over again. I guess, does that, do you think that qualifies as a song suite or just a super long ass song? I don't know. I've never heard the <laughs> phrase before. I've never heard song suite before. So I was just, I was trying to understand. So 
I don't know. It makes sense to me what you said. Yeah, you know? I think I it's just, just it, I think it's like themes that come back around, mm-hmm. new sections that come in. Like you could parse out probably four or five songs from that if you wanted yeah. to, but they're all Got, kind of yep. congealed into one. Yep. Then you have Pigs, three different ones. Uh, that one kind of, you know, documents the sort of wealthy ruling class. It has almost like a mocking tone, sort of going at the lavishness, self-indulgence of the aristocracy. And I always thought that song musically was kind of like a musical cousin of the song uh, Have a Cigar from Wish You Were Here. a similar kind of driving rock feel. It's funny you mention it. I, I I have in my notes for this, the whole thing just sounds like a really long version of Have a Cigar. I oh, really? Down. There yeah. you go. Great yeah. minds think alike, man. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's like, it is, it kind of feels, it almost feels like the same groove, I guess. Uh, different, mm-hmm. like a different melody over it, but it's like kind of the same pocket, same, same feel. But that song is interesting. I always felt like that was written from the standpoint of the sheep, kind of the uh, the people who are struggling, kind of mocking the aristocracy. And then you have sheep, which kind of closes this, is the third of the big song suites, let's say. And kind of... Uh, you know, creates a lyrical arc of working people who eventually come together and and rise up and overthrow the dogs and the pigs, you know? I mean, for me, people say it's loosely based on Orwell, but to me, it feels like it's kind of, maybe it's not as multifaceted, or maybe there's not as many levels, but it's the same basic kind of concept. It's like, yeah. I just thought it was interesting that he took something like that and said, I'm going to make, we're going to make a record that talks about class structure, that talks about sort of the inequalities and the harshness of capitalism. And then you bring in all the incredible musical elements that Doug Gil- uh, David Gilmore has, you know, um, just his ability to just create these great guitar melodies. There's really some great soundscapes from, from Richard Wright. Now, at times I agree, like, Dogs is literally 17 minutes and there's like a three or four minute <laughs> sort of synth uh, just extended. Maybe that's the time when you checked out. Probably it just like holds that synth part for a while. Well, it it does. You mentioned Shine On, You Crazy Diamond, and I remember the first time I heard that. I, it's this like twenty minutes long, or, or it's got something. like nine parts or something. Yeah, I was at one point. I'm like, what? Is, this is not one song. This is the we we shouldn't be doing because we played it on YSP. We played the that whole song. thing. Yeah, well, I dude, I could do a whole thing on this. But when you when you test music. What you do is you test, I think we've talked about this, you test seven or eight seconds of a song and you see what people think. Now, you're not, people are like, how can you only test seven seconds? Well, you're not testing songs they don't know. You're, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, do you know this song? And they're going, oh yeah. And then you're saying, what do you think of it? Any of your favorite songs, I could play seven seconds of 
the hook and you would know exactly what song it was and you would right. be able to tell me what it was. The problem with Pink Floyd songs is you play seven or 10 seconds of a Pink Floyd song, it doesn't, just because people say, yes, I like that, or I know that does not mean they want to hear the entire 20 minutes of Shine Especially On in the Your context of radio, I'm kind of blown away that you guys oh, yeah. actually play that. Now, now like Comfortably Numb or Fine. Money, or yep. some of those kind of songs, uh, or even Wish You Were Here, the song was, totally. was a beautiful folk song. You know? there, were pl- there were plenty of normal Pink Floyd songs to play, but we played that one. So, I don't so even that would be like a third of your hour-long block. If yeah. You, and you guys played that. You programmed that. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. I never thought of that as like a radio song. <laughs> it's not. It's, it I was, mean, it's definitely yeah. not. But uh, it, the, the radio station's not there anymore, Moot. You know, so <laughs> that was part of the reason. That was the you never reason. know. <laughs> you never know. Killed WYSP. Yep. You know, but it, I I find it interesting with them because it's it's strange. They're a conundrum for me because I I love just the classic two and a half three minute concise pop song i know you love that too you do yeah there's really nothing better in this world to me than that but there's always been something compelling about them that they will have a song's 15 minutes i think for me it's it's ultimately the lyrics you know uh someone that has a purpose with what they're trying to say lyrically or what they're trying to convey and that's definitely what this record does um one other interesting thing about this album uh one of the great album covers of all time Oh, it, it is a good cover. Well, they, they always had good covers, but this is it. Like, I, I don't think I ever said it, but when we had uh, Honus Honus on, mm-hmm. that cover reminded me of the Division Bell cover. Uh-huh. The, the cover of that record. And I could never place what it reminded me of, but it reminded me of the cover of the Division Bell record. Yeah, and that is, man, the Man Man, that's the best album cover I've seen. And It's a great album cover, yeah. <laughs> it's a great album. I mean, yes. it's one of... I mean, I, I was just thinking about a couple of those songs today, like, uh, I don't know it. I mean, they're just great yeah, melodies. They are. Man, that's yeah. a, that album is a home run, man. That's that's such a great... 10 Mootloo record. Ten that's Mutlu a 10... Record. That's a double... No, that's a quadruple. No, that's a quintuple. No, that's a thousand Mootloo record. A thousand Mootloo record. That is a thousand Mootloos for uh, for that one, for that Man Man out record. Jesus. <laughs> I know. Getting crazy here, but... Uh, but that cover has an interesting story, okay? Because you know it's the it's a picture of the Battersea power station, and there's a pig flying over the power station. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's an amazing story. So to get that shot, they commissioned a German balloon company called uh, Balloon Fabrique and an Australian artist named Jeffrey Shaw to actually create this forty foot balloon pig. Okay. Now when they did the shoot. They they would I guess they tethered up the pig, but they had okay. to keep a marksman there to make sure that if the pig got loose, you know you don't want this thing flying into planes and stuff like that. You know, they had to keep the marksman there so so if it got loose, the marksman to shoot would, it down to shoot the pig down. Right. So the first day they do the shoot, but there's it's raining, so they they can't do it that day. Okay. The second day they set up. Now somehow their manager forgot to hire the marksman for a second day. So oh no. Sure enough, the balloon gets loose. It flies all over London. It ends up causing delays and cancellations at Heathrow, and then eventually <laughs> lands in a farm in Kent. And the and the farmer was furious because apparently it scared the bejesus out of his cows. And how big was it? Forty foot. Now That's think about incredible. That. Yeah, this thing could get up, you know, airborne like yeah. you know, and get in the way of a plane. I mean, so it's kind of an amazing story. One of the probably the most incredible story I've ever heard for an album cover, but. 
it kind of speaks to the grandiosity of Pink Floyd, you know. Uh, and then, then they took it to a whole nother level with the wall. Oh, yeah. Well, which, I mean, that's the most... I mean, it's great. It's so self-indulgent. Yeah. Like, the entire <laughs> thing. Did you see the the Roger Waters solo tour of that when it, it came around? I didn't. I didn't. But you know what's crazy? I met G. Smith at a point in time. uh mm-hmm. Because I played at this memorial for my good friend T Bone Walk. Did we ever mm-hmm. talk about T Bone? He I produced think we my, did. Yeah, he's just amazing guy. Sadly passed away. Boy, it's crazy to think of him a decade ago now. But he was the one who produced my Living It album, uh, and just an amazing musician. Was on SNL. Was in Hall of Notes. Played with Billy Joel. Every he worked and played with everybody. But was mm-hmm. in the SNL band with G E Smith. So when T Bone passed, uh, rest in peace, T Bone. Big shout out, man. We might have to do a whole T-Bone episode at some point. Would love to do a T-Bone episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, T-Bone tribute. But uh, GE put this this event together at City Winery in New York. He had all these great artists come, like Roseanne Cash. And I remember at that event, he was telling me that he was getting ready to go on tour with Roger Waters. Okay. And they were just in rehearsals. So is that, I'm wondering if that's the, probably the tour you're talking about. Uh, uh, I, I can't even or remember. Or maybe he's done a series of tours was. like that. This is, this is, he's like, done a couple. I, how many years ago was it? 10? Yeah, this was 10 years ago. This yeah. was exactly like 10 years ago. Yeah, then yes, that would have been right around the time that I saw it. And again, as, as somebody who isn't a big Pink Floyd fan, it was a, it was a really neat show. You know, it was a, he did, I thought Roger Waters did, did a great job with that actually. Um, he, I, Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, I just, I, yeah. I wonder, like, I was curious if it had the same resonance live, because it's almost such a, uh, it's such an epic album piece that, like, does it hold up to I, see it in that way? I thought it did. I I got the sense that whatever, there was a lot of work put into that, you know, and mm-hmm. it was a very big, so, sonically, it was a very big show. It was a b- very big stage show, but sonically... It was a very big show as well, so I thought it was—I thought it was great. You know, I thought it held up. I thought it was really good. And wh- whatever you missed out, the intricacies of what happened musically, there was so much going on visually right. that it added that component to it. Now, was it, was it really the good. same without? I mean, you have great musicians, obviously, on stage like Jesus. Yeah. But was it was it this, quite the same without Gilmore? Because I always thought he was kind of the X factor of what made that band musically great, you know? I don't think you are, I certainly wasn't even thinking about it right. when I was there <laughs> enjoying it. You know, I think even sometimes when, when there's, whatever the different iterations of Guns N' Roses are, and of course you want to see all the guys, but there is something to seeing Axel sing Mr. Brownstone, whether Slash is playing guitar or not. And <clears throat> it's not, always the way they play, it's the way they wrote it. There, there's so many people that can play the way that somebody else plays. Right. You know, I, I, I don't yeah. know that it's missing. It's not like they were writing a new one. You know, they were only playing it. And I, I, as long as you have the right voice and everything sounds right, I thought it, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. But again, I'm not a, not a huge Pink Floyd fan, so maybe somebody like you who is more, maybe more, not critical, but the, the music is a little more meaningful to you, maybe. Because I, I'm the, going to Guns N' Roses, like, I don't want to see Guns N' Roses with right. the you other guys. You don't want to see the replacement. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess for me, I wonder if that would almost take away from me a little bit, because I just have such a specific image of them uh, as mm-hmm. a band. But, but it's interesting. They've created something, I think that was partially on purpose, where 
they wanted the concept. They wanted Pink Floyd to be kind of bigger than the band members. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they've achieved that, you know, mm -hmm. where I the brand so becomes bigger than any individual part of it. Yeah, I think so too. There's, there's not, since there's only a few songs on it, my favorite parts in it are when, are those sort of soft acoustic guitar parts with his voice against that. And I think it's it's almost like a, there's almost something lullaby about it <laughs> when you're listening to it. You the know? Pigs on the Wing? The, the, yes. That, those songs? Yeah. yeah they're, they're great, aren't they? They're like, uh, there's something, it's a minute and a half, but it's just, that's the one thing about Pink Floyd, like for all the grandiose soundscapes they could write like really beautiful straight up folk songs like wish mm -hmm. you were here and they always were able to do that i think that's what kind of made it so it kind of tethered them down to something a little more maybe relatable at times is that they could write wish you were here or pigs on the wing or those kind of songs yeah or even you know we were talking about um momentary lapse of reason like like learning to flies on that Album, oh, or like yeah. even on the turning away, which is another song like that, you know, which is a just they don't do a lot of songs like that, but those songs are on there. As the daytime is slurring, where the speechless united a silent accord, using what you will find. I, I don't even I don't even know how to like wrap my my head around. That album. There are parts <laughs> of it. There are parts of it that I like. When I close my eyes and just lay there and listen to it, it's pretty neat. I even have a harder time. We were originally. We'll do it next week. We're originally going to do a Tool album with this, which is really actually sort of interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Comparison because there's a lot of similarities. I, I f and we'll talk about it when we do it. But I sort of fell out of love with Tool. The the bigger and more sprawling they got. And the album that I had suggested that we'll end up doing was n was big, but not quite as big. And it would have been interesting to do. Man, talk about a long pod that would have been. Just <laughs> that'd be like a two-hour pod. Yeah. So we'll we'll do that next time. But I think it's 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 grip it, rip it, and move on to me. I'm mm. glad I actually listened to this album for the first time. I've never listened to it before. But even their most popular stuff is still just neat to me. And I wish. I connected with it more than I do. I would love to be a Pink Floyd fan. Of all the classic rock bands that I don't really love, that like they are the ones that I wish I was really into because well, it seems like it would be cool to be into them. If nothing else, learning some of those guitar things, uh, you know, yeah. when you pick back up with the yep. lessons. I mean, those are some great, mm -hmm. just from a pure guitar standpoint, like great Absolutely. guitar solos, iconic. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely, and and all about tone and feel and groove and not this. They're not. It's not Eddie Van Halen. Not right. that he didn't pl have great tone and and play with feeling, but it's not like they're they're doing anything. It's not like they're playing fast or or anything like that. It's just it's a just a, an amazing. You talked about like a soundscape, like an amazing sonic yeah. experience. Yeah, and it's about five or six notes that just kill mm -hmm. you rather yeah. than. A hundred notes that like melt your face, you know. Have you ever seen the cover of "Wish You Were Here" by Fred Durst and Johnny Resnick? 
seen that of goo goo dolls it's pretty good it's pretty uh, good not not what I, I wouldn't expect that pairing and i wouldn't expect good. them covering that song it's pretty good pretty good yeah how about the corn cover of another brick in the wall you ever hear that one I have not heard that one either. Should add it's those pretty, to the playlist. Yeah, it's pretty straight. It's pretty. <laughs> it, it's it's actually it's shockingly straight ahead. You know, it's not not really. They don't corn it up too much. So I assume this is this is. I I would guess any time that we suggest an album, it means it's a ten Mutlu album. So this you is a this ten Mutlu for me. Yeah, 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 of course. Absolutely. It's a cool record. I'm glad we did Pink Floyd. I don't think we've done any classic rock so far. I think this is like our first delve not into classic really. rock. We Television's haven't... not really classic rock, so yeah, they they wouldn't. I mean, they're I don't know. They're like a cult band, or yeah, they're like post punk, I guess. Before we get to the listener record, something popped up on my Instagram feed mm. from you, right? And it was like. Mutlu is doing a fucking show. I know. Hallelujah. July 9th at Daryl's house. Where Where yeah. is Daryl's house? Daryl's house is in upstate New York in Pauling, New York. If, if, if you're in the northern part of the city mm-hmm. or New York suburbs, it's maybe an hour, hour and a okay. half. Okay. Depending. So you kind of pull from greater New York area, especially New York suburbs, Hudson Valley, Connecticut. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it's in a really beautiful kind of rural area, but it's close to... A number of different population pockets, so it's the kind of venue that people will travel to. Yeah, and, uh, how big? How many people are you letting it, in there? Well, we're doing limited capacity, so yeah. it's like uh, I think it's well, usually for like a seated show when I played there, I think it's maybe one eighty or two hundred. We're literally just to keep it safe, sixty yeah. tickets. That's it. Awesome. Yeah, very. Uh, you know, they want to limited capacities, capacity, socially distanced, but uh, it's a great room because I've played there since it opened because. Really, uh, Daryl opened it as kind of an extension of the TV show. Yep. And kind of a place where people who'd been on the show or just like minded artists, artists that he liked, would play. So I've been playing there. Since it opened, and it's really cool because they have a very intricate and high-level multi-camera audio-video setup. So I think we'll probably do a live stream of it too. And uh, they're they're set up in a really cool way to like do live streams of the show. They they were doing that with some of the gigs even before the pandemic. But it's the first show I booked in a year and a half, so uh, I'm excited. I feel like it's going to be a warm-up. Things are looking good for the fall. Uh, not necessarily every date that uh, that I was originally planning for the fall tour is there yet, but most of it is. And awesome. Ho- hopefully, in the next month or so, I'll announce a fall tour. And uh, but but this is kind of a nice warm up. It's basically one of my favorite rooms. It's it can be a live room for like a band, but it's great seated as just like a listening room. So it's great to just do like an acoustic show. So I'm gonna do two sets and. Uh, yeah, July 9th, if, 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 if you guys are listening, Daryl's House, go to Daryl's House Club, you can find tickets, or go to my website, mootlusounds.com. Maybe I'll run some little uh, 
flashy little promos uh, on the pod as we get closer to it. So. Oh, it, it's so exciting. I wish it wasn't right after I was up, <laughs> up rooting my entire fucking life and moving because I would, I would certainly drive up there. Yeah, that. yeah, it's worth it. Maybe I, I know that's like right at the <laughs> most like insane yeah. part of as you're like right as you start the new job. But, but I'll be there again. Maybe I'll be there in the fall. I mean, I, I'm going to play in New York too, so in the fall. Yeah, time. yeah. yeah. So that, that'll be yeah. right down the uh, Right down a road, but uh, but also I'm hoping they don't necessarily live stream every show, but I think they will probably live stream my show. So that'll be kind of part of the promotion. I, now I got to be honest, I love that room. It's like a home away from home for me. Great setup, mm-hmm. great sound, very comfortable backstage. Nice on and off with the stage. You know, some clubs depending on how they're set up, it's not always like logistically the best. But Daryl's house is logistically awesome. But I'm still just picturing playing a show and seeing people without masks on like how am i gonna feel am i gonna feel comfortable you're fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine fine. you're fine no i'm so excited but like there's a little part of me that's like the the hypochondriac part of me that's that's why you gotta get out there yeah but this is the way to test it and again no better place to do it than a venue i already feel like so comfortable at great great spot so uh, i'm excited you know, you didn't sit in your house for fucking 15 months and get vaccinated <laughs> to not go play a show. Exactly, so, exactly. So that is exciting. Congratulations. Thank I you, I told man. you it would come. This is the be- only the beginning. It's exciting to see shows pop up, but for you in particular, it didn't feel like it was actually going to be concerts until I saw one that was scheduled for you. So that's, right. uh, that's exciting. And so we've been talking about it since literally the first episode of the pod. So it's been part of the arc of our yeah. like sort of journey in this because when we started there was no vaccine there, we, we there was no we had no clue what was going on we didn't know if we were going to be in this for how long no we're no going to do this until the next pandemic <laughs> exactly yeah well so let's go to the listener album mm-hmm. why don't we i had did you have any awareness of dominic fike before no. this or no so nor did i there's not like a ton of information. I, I did watch a couple of interviews and he seems like, in, like an interesting guy. Dominic Fike suggests the album is What Could Possibly Go Wrong. suggested by Apple user Dill2Dirty. Dominic Fike, one of these guys that blows up on SoundCloud. I don't even know how that works because, <laughs> well, I, I know how SoundCloud works because the Ricky is on SoundCloud, but I, it doesn't seem like there's any social or virility to SoundCloud. So I don't know how people, it's not like YouTube or it, it doesn't appear to me to be like YouTube. So I don't know how there's all this discovery. Like I don't know how people blow up on YouTube, but... He sort of came on the the scene itself in like 2015 or mm-hmm. so. And he actually, and a song here and a song there, and he actually wrote his first EP while he was under house arrest and then in jail. So he was under house arrest for battery of a police officer. I, he hasn't, if, if, there's a, if there's a lot of, talk about what exactly happened. I didn't see it. He sort of described it as a wrong place, wrong time thing with his brother. Mm. You know, I, 
I have no no idea what happened, but what he was under house arrest for that, and then he broke house arrest and went to jail. And this was after he recorded the EP. No, he he sort of wrote it, wrote the EP all during this experience. So oh, this wow. experience, and one of the things he said. <clears throat> about the writing in jail I thought was interesting. It brought me back to when we were <clears throat> talking to Jeremy from Mar- Marion Hill and maybe Daniel Hart a little bit, is he said that there were sounds in there that you wouldn't think of as musical that he heard and sort of gave him a, oh, that sounds like something. Like mm-hmm. it was a sink that made a noise, you know, that, oh, that sounds like something. And when you were listening to the album that we heard, It really is, I I think it's pretty cohesive, but there is a lot of sound in it and there are a lot of different influences in it. So so he got signed right around that time and What Could Possibly Go Wrong is actually his debut. It came out in 2020, so it hasn't been out very long. He He headlined a Fortnite concert tour, a tour dedicated to that video game where the the kids all do the dances, the Fortnite dances. Yeah, do you know is it that? like an actual tour, or like like a, some kind of virtual thing? No, I, I think it was an actual tour. Okay. I, yeah, I think it was an actual tour because it was it was September 2020, which is oh, pre-COVID, beforehand. right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right. It is pre-COVID. Yeah, that was, was a sub- good yeah. six months before. Uh, okay. Pandemic yeah. hit. So there's not a ton. Oh wait, wait, I, September 2020. No, so that was during COVID. No, that's right? during COVID. That's okay, six so maybe ago. it was a so uh, it was probably a so it was a virtual tour. Yeah, then, I yeah. would assume. I guess that right. would make sense too with Fortnite, right? That uh, yeah, yeah, being a video game, whatever. <laughs> the the thing that I think is most interesting about the record and him is how much of everything is in there. And after I listened to the entire thing, I saw him covering a Paul McCartney song, "The Kiss of Venus," on James Corden. It was amazing how sort of soulful and rock and roll he was on that and all of the, the different things on on this record because it, it kind of opens up, it opens up with a, a short song called Come Here. Baby, come here, I get so in which the vocals are almost Jack Black-ish, I think, yeah. that, that sort of high pitch shriek almost. I mean, like a falsetto scream, is that what you would call it? That's a good, I think it's a good comparison. Uh, yeah. And then you don't know what, the, he, he's kind of a chameleon because he goes in a lot of different modes and directions. A, a ton of different directions. And there's some, in, in, that, in that opening thing, I think you hear rock music, I think you hear Muse a little bit, which I would classify as rock. There's definitely some hip hop in there. And he, throughout the album, it sort of jumps from like a Jack Johnson, Citizen Cope kind of vibe mm-hmm. to a, like there was parts of it that felt like 
white boy joke rap from like the <laughs> mid two, like from the mid two thousands or whatever. I'm not trying to insult it, but that was kind of like the vibe. One of the songs I really liked was Cancel Me. Right now, my job is to lie down. I hope they cancel me, so I can go be with my family, so I can quit wearing this mask, dog. Tell the people kiss my ass, dog. Cancel Me has like sort of like a novelty song almost, but but the lyrics are cool, you know? I hope they cancel me so I can go be with my family so mm-hmm. I can keep wearing this mask, dog, to tell the people, kiss my ass, dog. <laughs> and there is something very Eminem to that, you know, but it's a really cool song with a really sort of... Uh, there's a, a lot to it. it. It had some LFO to it, I thought, too, but a, a really neat song. And I think there are moments in there where there's just great sort of classic pop songwriting with all these different uh, with all these different genres in there. Good Game is another one. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I, I thought about, because I like the album a lot, it made me think of you. Uh, there's a song called What's for Dinner. Simple things make a difference in your day. Take the time to tell me why. What is it anyway? My apologies. I'm so sorry. I just got back from the gastroenterologist. He told me that I can't drink, so now I be high as shit and all insensitive. And then when you cry, I get fucking. It sort of has like almost, it has like a soulful, funky vibe, but even the vocals are almost D'Angelo esque a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he gets I up thought. more into that kind of syncopated like semi falsetto kind of uh yeah delivery yeah yeah he he's interesting because i couldn't like if you were to describe him it kind of depends on what song you're talking about right 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 he's not someone you can pigeonhole no there's a lot there but the first one that got me really was cancel me that that and those lyrics that you mentioned i mean that that's an interesting song I think hearing him write something like that is like, okay, he can bring, it's not just, he's not just like a pop song writer. He, no, 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 no. I didn't think so at all. Yeah, I thought there's a lot more to him than that. He brings it in. I mean, he's kind of talking about, it is kind of tongue in cheek, but he's kind of talking about sort of the stress or the isolation of that kind of scrutiny, you know, mm-hmm. when you start to have fame and kind of, it almost made me think of the, you know, be careful what you wish for, or like the only yeah. thing worse than not succeeding is succeeding. He kind of, Almost someone who's like, oh, I don't know if I'm up for this. Like, this is too much, you know, that's kind of like, it's that, that's kind of the message of the song. And I was like, okay, he can convey all that, you know, kind of like Julia Michaels, uh, same kind of thing. Like yeah. in a pop song context brings something much deeper. It's not just on the surface, like actually revealing something personal about himself. It reminds me, I thought it was neat that he's talking about that before he even is popular in a mass market way, it reminds me, and I don't think he's doing it like Kid Rock did it, but one of my favorite Kid Rock moments, man, I I think Devil With A Cause, Kid Rock's first album is just first real major, and that's the one with Ball To Ball and I'm The Bull God and Only God Knows Why. It's just a fucking awesome album. But Only God Knows Why. is is this song where he's talking about how hard it is 
to be on the road and be famous. And it is- <laughs> He hasn't done it yet. No, it was written before. <laughs> now, by the time that song came out, he was very, very famous. But when the album came out, he wasn't. And it, it was, <laughs> I think, I thought it was definitely in a different way. But the stress of, like, you can only imagine what it's like to be really, really big and really popular if something like this is happening and you're like, oh, oh no, I don't know about this, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting for him to write at this moment in his career because maybe he's getting a taste of it. Mm-hmm. And in a sense saying, hmm, I don't, I don't know if I like this. Like, this yeah. is, maybe this isn't for me. I think a lot of artists, especially if you have like a huge level of fame or start to have a huge level of fame mm-hmm. at a young age, uh, I think that can be a lot to process because you mm-hmm. haven't gone through some of the life experiences that would maybe help you deal with it or cope with it or, or perceive it in, in, in a more level kind of way. So it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that, that that's like the second or third, I think it's like the third song on the record. Uh, so I thought that was pretty- Cancel Me is like the second or third song. Yeah, yeah, so I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting statement right out of the gate. There's There were moments of this where I almost wish he would have fleshed out like a full song. Like there's some song, a lot of mm-hmm. songs are short and some of them are almost like interludes. Like there's something called 10 Times Stronger. which is like a minute and 15 seconds, I think. And maybe it's meant to be an interlude. It's got this really beautiful harmony, kind of, kind of cool string part that comes in at the end. But I heard that and I was like, oh man, I feel like there's more of a song in that. You know, and well, I, did you find yeah. that too? The times, like, it, like some of the songs didn't feel fully formed or fully finished or something. Well, it seems like somebody whose career was born just releasing things on ideas on SoundCloud that went to do an entire record. Right. They're they're entirely different thought processes, processes, you know. And I wonder if his brain. It it would be interesting to see what happens with him, but I wonder if his brain can even work that way, you know, right. even thinks about, like he just like, oh, here's a cool thing I did and here's another cool thing I did. And I, I think it sounds cohesive, but I do think there are a lot of like quote unquote songs on there that, are, that aren't finished. Yeah, they're not fully fleshed out. It got me thinking about something that Jason and AU have talked about, mm-hmm. which is how songs are born, they were saying more like TikTok or Instagram, but mm-hmm. I guess it could be on SoundCloud too where you know, they're just kind of put out there in a raw state, like just a snippet of a song, mm-hmm. and the artist starts to get a reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And then even by the time they decide it's a full song, by the time it gets to the record, it's still still not fully developed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then it got me thinking about this, is almost the notion of pop songwriting in the traditional sense, is it changing because of these social media platforms, like because of TikTok, because of... Instagram, because of SoundCloud, Bandcamp, whatever, because the way people think about creating and putting music out there, it's not, it's, it's, it's just change. And it's almost like the yeah. media is, the social media, the media platforms are changing the way artists think about what songwriting even means, you know? Well, they're changing the way people consume art because they're changing the way that people consume everything. Right. You know, like everything is quicker, everything is grab your attention and everything is, is highly disposable, disposable. And I think one of the, I don't, I'm not gonna be old guy 
yelling at Cloud <laughs> that I don't love it, even though I don't love it. That's partially why when shows come out and people binge them, I don't even know that they care how good they are sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, here's something, let's get it done, and let's go on to the next thing. Right. And I remember, I think it almost started, did we talk, well, I'm sure we talked about this, because I say the same things over and over and over again. All I do is talk. I remember like when MySpace happened. Yeah. And forgetting about musicians who ended up using MySpace, but regular people would just collect more friends. More friends, more friends, more friends, even if they didn't know them. And then when Napster happened, people would just download everything they could, whether they wanted it or not. They would just keep downloading, 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 downloading. And we have this thing about our psyches that is just consume and collect and consume and collect and consume and collect. And when consumption is like that, then creation ends up morphing to become more like consumption. You know, like when albums, when, when you'll notice when, when the album format went from vinyl to CD, albums got longer right. because there was, there's more time. You could just put more time on there. You know, like it went from 45 minutes to, you know, 70 minutes that you could do. So I, I think like arts like conforms to culture which is how people consume it. And I do, I think people are consuming things quicker. So the art creation is just like quicker too. So know? then the question becomes this, is the listener, especially say younger listeners, are is their perception of music and what constitutes a great song, is that different now than say ours? Absolutely. Right. See, that's, but, that's, that's, a, that's a interesting thing to reconcile. Yeah, yeah. But also they're looking for something different than we are, you know, like they're, right. they're like, what is great to them is different because they're looking for something different. I, A, you said, or, or what did Jason tweet today? Jason tweeted today that the Machine Gun Kelly pop punk album is one of the most influential albums of the last few years. And I, I texted him and I was like, this is either sad that it's true or it's that sad that you think I'm it. I'm not familiar like, with it, so. <laughs> so Machine, you know who Machine Gun Kelly is? Rapper, tall, skinny, white rapper, gotten a, from Cleveland. I think I've heard of him, but I don't know. He's pretty either. famous. He's just a rapper. He has some good songs and some bad songs, but he put out this album called, I think it's called My Downfall or Songs for My Downfall. And it's basically a pop punk album. Like it just sounds like Newfound Glory or any of those bands that were popular 15 years ago. Hmm. And everybody was surprised that he put it out, but everyone was like, what is this great thing that he did? And this is amazing. And I'm like, are you kidding? It's, this is not even that old. Like Fall Out Boy is still around. Like these bands that created this aren't even, right. haven't even retired. It's, right. <laughs> it's, it's not like, the Black Keys doing some classic rock retro thing where, you know, Led Zeppelin's not even playing anymore. Right. All of those bands that, that this is ripping off, but I just think everyone's attention span is people are just looking for something right now and they're ready for something, 
you know, immediately afterwards. And when we were growing up, we wanted to love, like we were looking for albums, things that could last us two years because we might not get something new for months and months and months and months, whereas they're getting something new every single day. That's a good point. And so when you don't have that weight and that anticipation, you don't value it in the same yeah. way. Yeah. And even on a more structural level, I was thinking about songwriting and how it's evolved. So, you know, not to be the old guy or the mm-hmm. the, the traditionalist, quote unquote, but when you think of classic songwriting, just mm-hmm. in how you create the tunes, you think of Brill Building, but even bands more that have come out more recently, a lot of times I think of songwriting as the melody and the lyrical first. The melody and the lyric first. Mm-hmm. So the whole song is built around what's the melody, what's the lyric, you know, what's the bridge, what's the structure of the song, what's the statement of the song. And really, whatever's happening underneath it musically is accompaniment. If you're at a piano or you're at a guitar, mm-hmm. but you're building the song from the compositional sense of the melody and the lyric. Now there's... That's one way of writing. That's sort of the traditional pop songwriting approach. Mm-hmm. Then there's this other way, which also can yield great songs, where you've got a fully formed track or a beat. And already within that track, there's so much happening musically. Mm-hmm. There's even like hooks maybe within that track mm-hmm. that in some way when you, you, you then write the melody and the lyric based off that track. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times I think what happens is if you write that way, and not to say it's the case every time, but if you write that way, the melody and the lyric become more tethered to what's in the track. And if you subtract the actual production, there's not as much of a song there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, I agree. Yeah, you, you can't, if you don't, with, what, with a lot of the songs on here, you can't just give him a piano or a guitar and say, play it for me, and there's anything there. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, we talk about that as a litmus test for a lot of the music we like. Mm-hmm. And and it's not to say he's like incredibly talented and he's more than capable of writing that song that he can just play on the piano or the guitar. He's absolutely capable, but it's almost like he doesn't go there or decide or make the decision to do it. And I think it's interesting because there's no better or worse. It's whatever gets you to a great song. There's there's absolutely a world in which, and it happens all the time, where you could compose a melody and a lyric around mm-hmm. an existing track that has a lot going on and you subtract the production, and there's still a great song there. Yep. That can happen, but I think it happens less often than if you just say, what's this song if I strip everything away? And if I right. just sing it for two and a half, three minutes, does it hold up? If I just do it a cappella or with the simplest accompaniment? Mm-hmm. I guess I'm, that's traditional pop songwriting, but to me, that's timeless pop songwriting because even now in 2021, the greatest songs still hold up that way. So are we yes. getting less of those because... And I'm not saying this new evolution of writing and media is bad. It's yielding some incredible creativity. But are we getting less in the way of great songs? At times, being the old guy, I feel like we are. I think we are getting more total songs. We're probably getting a huge number of great pop songs. I hear a bunch of great pop songs. I do. You know, even... You know, just looking over the last couple of years, you know, uh, and only females are in my head because we've talked about them, but from, you know, Halsey to Miley Cyrus, like they're they're so meant to Billie Eilish, that whole album. But they write fully formed songs. Talk about Miley. Uh, She writes, like a lot of those songs, like on the record we did, you could strip Mm -hmm. away or or it was, it was, you kind of almost had the picture of her and Wayne Coyne sitting there. 
Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that I think there are great songs out there. Right, I think right. there are tons of great songs, but I think there are, it is crowded. It's not always those that are the most popular and it gets crowded by other stuff. I just think there's, you know, the barrier to entry is so much lower now. Right. So there's just, and there's so many, and here's the other thing. Bro, we're not young anymore. I know. Like, See, I don't want we, <laughs> we don't determine what's popular anymore. Somebody else yeah. does. Yeah. You know? Early early forties, early mid forties now, you're 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 not the pop demographic anymore. Yeah. That's really eighteen, twenty four? I mean, or younger. No, maybe uh, high school. Uh what what yeah. determines the pop the big pop trend? I mean, what, what what's the demographic uh, would you say? I would say I don't think it's a classic Demographic. I think if you're looking at classic demographics, it's like 18 to 34. Okay. But I think it's anywhere from like 14-year-olds to 24-year-olds. I think that's who's determining what's what's cool because they have uh, extra time. They get, and, and with that extra time, they become fanatics about things. They have more time for discovery. They have like, you know, when, when you think about the, when most people think about the music they like the most in their entire life, it's the, the music they liked from when they were like 14 to 24. Like those are the songs. Yeah. Like those are the, that's, you know, that when you, when you look at a, a, a radio format that is based on older songs, their demo lines up with that. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, lines up right. with the, like it's those songs, you know, for me it's Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard, but it's also like Tupac and Green Day and, and all that. But the, those are the ones that will be there forever. Those are the ones that I always go back to. See, I'm an anomaly because all my favorite Music was from before I was born, so. But you you probably discovered it at those ages, though. Absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, that it's it's about when you discover it, not, not about when the it came era. Out. It doesn't have to be contemporary; yeah. just when you just came upon when you song. discover it, because that's that's when you have time to fall in love with stuff like that. I give this one. Yeah, I know. I, I, I was thinking about that before the pod. It's like, not Ten Mutlu. I can't give it Ten Mutlu. Uh, yeah, it's Grip so, It, Rip so It, and Move On. It's so yeah. close, though. It's like right His on the His next album line. might be Ten Mutlu. His next album might be Ten Mutlu right. for me. This, this one, one is, is not. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think this one is just, it's like right on the line, but then it kind of falls over to Grip It, Rip It, and Move On. You know, yeah, just kind of kind of tips over into very, but Rip yeah, It, Rip It. But I, I think he's just getting started. I mean, his guitar playing. Just his guitar great. playing is yeah. soulful. He's got a great tone. He likes to use that chorus effect. Mm -hmm. He's got like this. He's got a pocket in the way he plays. So I mean, he's absolutely uber talented. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see what he what he does next. Yeah. So next week we will have a listener album along with Tools Anima will be the the next album we do. That is my pick, and you're already prepared for the one of them. So well, I guess I am too. Yeah, I, yeah. I picked it. So uh, and then we'll do a listener album. Remember to suggest it. Do it at uh, carlandrewrecordclub.com or the Apple Podcast reviews. We just leave it in the review. Leave us five stars and the the album you want us to talk about. Um, and get our tickets are on sale for the Daryl's house. Yeah, tickets are on sale for Daryl's house. Uh, you can go to my website, mootloosounds.com, and if you go to the show section, ticket link is right there. Or you can go to Daryl's house club and find the date there. And uh, oh, he's excited. See, well, maybe he's shitting. You know, we talked about yeah, this. He, maybe he's shitting it's on like the ground. playing a show. Time to shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Daryl's House Club, uh, either their site or mine uh, on TicketWeb. Or if you just search me on TicketWeb, you'll find it too. So. And if it's already sold out by now, you won't hear any of this because I'll edit it out because this is <laughs> exactly. two weeks from when we're talking. All right. All right. Well, uh, that's all for us. We'll talk to you next time. Stay free, my goose. <laughs>